catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. We're delving into the world of education because, as you know, education is the bedrock of every society. In Africa, the poverty level coupled with illiteracy and out-of-school rates pre-COVID was really alarming. Now, with the COVID came economic hardships, loss of jobs, delaying government policies, implementation, and a general rush to catch up in every sector, including the education sector. Right now, all schools are trying to catch up, exams, tests, everything's been quickened. Most school children and students across Africa have lost an academic session and or are racing to refresh the memory of these children or the students. Little or nothing is said about children and students with learning abilities because, of course, they all stayed at home like their peers and it might have been a bit more difficult for their parents rather to walk them through their learning process. If it is difficult post-COVID for children and students without any learning disabilities, let's just imagine how much effort has been lost when we talk about children and students with learning disabilities. Today, we have an international certified special needs educator and a dyslexia coach and the founder of Dyslexia Help Africa, Blessing Nyape. I hope I got that right. Welcome, Blessing. Thank you for having me. Yes, you got it right. Beautiful. Thank God. I practiced that very well. I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I, I got it right. <laughs> you did. So the COVID-19 brought challenges to school children and students, but we seem not to be paying attention to children with special needs, just like dyslexia. How much of a challenge is this post-COVID in a place like Africa, where most parents and teachers do not even know that their children have dyslexia? Yeah, it's really been quite challenging because even before COVID, kids with learning difficulties, okay, like we love to call them kids with learning difficulties or learning differences. Yes, we're having lots of issues with learning. But what post-COVID brought out glaring for us was that there was now a clear distinction between kids who are struggling with learning because they are dyslexic and they are neurotypical peers, that is, they are non-dyslexic peers. And um, of course, I know that a lot of kids, when they return back, either dyslexic or non-dyslexic, struggled with catching up in one way or the other. But the thing for children with dyslexia is that they were struggling to catch up and they are currently still struggling to catch up wherever they are in any part of the world. While their other non-dyslexic counterparts have probably been able to catch up and are finding a way here or there to be successful at school. And um, one of the other alarming things about this is that, like you said, in Africa, most families don't even know what dyslexia is. So we have families who are in denial. We have schools who don't know what dyslexia is. So the alarming thing is that even now that the kids are struggling in school, because of uh, their learning difficulties. Most families or schools just believe they are struggling because of the amount of time they spent at home during the lockdown without learning. But what they fail to understand is that some of these other kids have moved on. So why aren't these ones moving on? And that's where the biggest lie comes, the lie where they say the key to catch up. I mean, that's the biggest lie you can ever tell the parent. And that is one of the biggest lies that schools tell parents or parents tell themselves that 
this child will catch up. And you notice that your child is not learning well in preschool, they'll tell you the child will catch up. In primary school, all oh, the child will catch up. In secondary school, the child will catch up. And really, it gets to secondary school because I've worked with kids, or well, not kids any longer because they are 20, 23, 26. And it becomes alarming for the parents when it's time for these kids to go into the tertiary institution, either here in Africa or any part of the world. Post-COVID is a challenging time for children with dyslexia because before the pandemic and the lockdown, they were struggling with learning. And then right now, so whatever struggles they have has been multiplied. So you can just imagine the struggles. Yeah. So for those who are just jumping onto this conversation for the first time, how can one identify a child with dyslexia, either from whether it's in the school or it's at home? What things can we use to identify a child with dyslexia? Mm, when I talk about the science of dyslexia, I like to be very careful so that people don't just pick a thing or two of what I've said and then run off calling children dyslexic. So you have to, first of all, understand that the science I'm going to be mentioning doesn't necessarily mean that a child is dyslexic. It only means that these are signs, they are red flags that something can be wrong because dyslexia is under a very large umbrella called learning difficulties. So a child might be struggling with learning but might not necessarily be dyslexic. So the best thing to do, if you notice any of the signs I'm going to mention, is to get the child screened and not to label the child as being dyslexic. That is very important. And then also there are three things to also note, even as I talk about the signs of dyslexia. Combination. So whatever signs I'm going to mention here, don't just pick a sign and say, oh, I've noticed that this child does this. So this child is dyslexic. No, there has to be a combination of signs. It means it has to be at least two, three, four, or five of these signs I've mentioned that you are seeing in that child. And then there is something we call reoccurrence. It also means that these signs that you've seen, this combination of two, three, four, five signs that you've seen are signs that are always reoccurring. They happen often. And then finally, persistent. It means that this combination of signs that are always reoccurring, you have tried to correct them, but it's not just helping. So when you've checked all of this, then you can say, okay, there are red flags for dyslexia and this child needs to be screened. So usually for preschoolers, you notice that they have a hard time learning rhymes or songs. You know, when kids are in preschool, um, basically they are singing a lot of songs, they are learning a lot of rhymes, you realize that kids who are showing signs of dyslexia have a hard time learning these rhymes or these songs. And um, they also have a hard time uh, remembering sequencing. And that's where you realize that instead of reciting the letters of the alphabet correctly, they're jumping. So they can say A, B, C, and then jump to F, and then jump to Q, uh, even when with their numbers that can happen from 1, 2, and then to 10, and then to 20, and all of that. And you also notice at the preschool level that for words like teddy bear, instead of saying teddy bear, they will say teddy bear. So you have some uh, phonological issues there. So these are some of the signs, amongst others, that you might see in preschoolers. And then when they get to kindergarten, where they start learning the names of letters, and they start learning numbers and they start learning sounds, you realize that they have a hard time learning letters and connecting them to sounds. And this is where 
most parents or teachers begin to notice that there's a problem because um, a child knowing that this is letter A and letter A makes the sound ah. So I realize at this point of time that learning their letters and then connecting it to sounds becomes a big problem. Currently working with a five-year-old who has not gone past learning the letter A and understanding that makes a sound ah. But for other kids, this comes natural. I mean, you could just play songs for a child or play video for some kids and you realize that after a while, they just know that A is for apple, ah, ah, apple. But for kids with dyslexia, it takes more than just playing songs for them and just teaching them in a regular way. You have to teach them through what we call a structured literacy program, which I hope to talk about later. And then you also realize at this kindergarten age that they start confusing um, letters that look similar. And that's where they start confusing their D to B, their M to W. Now, when you talk to, uh, about dyslexia with people, this is basically the sign they know. Because a parent called me once and said, oh, my child um, uh, writes his B as a D and writes his W as an M and all of that. And I was like, okay, so any other thing, is that all? And she was like, that's all. And I think my child is dyslexic. No, most kids at preschool or kindergarten have a way of just inverting their letters. So if that is the only thing you're seeing in your child, then it doesn't mean that your child is dyslexic. Don't forget, we spoke about combination, reoccurrence, and persistence. So it has to be a combination of signs and not just because your child is inverting letters. And then um, they also have a hard time at the kindergarten level learning how to blend their sounds to make a word. So you realize that sometimes they might go past learning uh, the sounds of the alphabet, but putting those sounds together to call the word becomes a problem. So a child might know that, okay, C makes a sound K, uh, A makes a sound A, T makes a sound T. But putting it together to pronounce the word cat becomes a very huge problem at this level. And by the time they move to grade level, into their teenage, you realize that they are confusing or they are skipping small words that look alike. So for instance, they are skipping words like for, for off, skipping words like while, for white, and all of that. They also have a hard time quickly recognizing sight words. So, I mean, at grade level, most kids just know sight words. But for children with dyslexia, it can be a hard time getting to understand that these are sight words and memorizing them. Because there's a way their brain works. It's quite practical. And a lot of things that are theory doesn't necessarily work. And um, that's why, like I mentioned earlier, the method that works for them in for interventions, what we call the structural literacy program, where you get to explain why the word cat is cat, why it makes a sound ah, why there are spelling rules and all of that. Because for them, the brain needs to understand why this is happening. So all of the cramming and all of the trying to just push things into the head in form of cramming doesn't really work for them. And then at that age, you also notice poor spellings. And then they are frequently making the same kind of mistakes. They just hate to read, not because they don't like reading, but because they struggle so hard with it. And with all the emotional trauma, it becomes something that they run away from. So there are a lot of other signs, but um, I'll just talk about just this one I've spoken about. And please don't forget, it has, there has to be a combination of the signs 
There has to be a reoccurrence of the signs. There has to be a persistence of the signs. And this doesn't mean that the child is dyslexic. It only means that there are red flags. So we should get the child screened so we know exactly what we are working with. Yeah. Okay, in your years of dealing with children, parents, and teachers that uh, relate with uh, children that have dyslexia, yeah. what, what would you say is the most challenging and uh, the most memorable, on the other hand? Uh, which, which two examples would you give us most challenging and most memorable? Okay, the most challenging is um, when these kids have gone through school without a proper intervention. So you have a child who is in grade three or an adult who is 20 and don't even know their sounds. I mean, it's worse when they have crammed those words. I mean, that can be quite challenging. And we're even talking about it a few days back. That is best you bring a child to us who hasn't learned any sound at all, who hasn't crammed any words. It's always easier. Then when you come in with kids who have gone through the system, who have crammed words but never learned how to read, it really can be quite challenging trying to, you know, make them unlearn what they have crammed and learn the basics. And then the most memorable for us is always when these kids come and can't read Jack. But after a few months and a few years, they are making progress. I mean, it gives me joy. And like what I always tell people I'm training and my staff is that we, what we're doing is what the world can call a miracle because a child comes and they can't read, they're struggling with low self-esteem. But over time, they begin to understand that yes, they are different, but it doesn't mean that they're failures. They can still learn how to read. They only need to learn how to read in a different way. And that's what most teachers don't understand. I mean, children with dyslexia can learn how to read, but they don't have to learn how to read, how you teach them. They have their methods that works for them. So in summary, most challenging, when kids come and have gone through the system, but never learned how to read and have just crammed the words. And then the most memorable, when we've taken them through the structural literacy program and they are now making amazing progress both in school and in reading their books. Yeah. So in the education sector in our climbs around here, mm-hmm. when it comes to policies, when it comes to innovation, even discussions about education, we hardly focus on special education. What can be done to ensure that we not, we not just talk about it and raise awareness, but then we have more yeah. policies, more products, more services, more innovation yeah. uh, towards special education, especially dyslexia, which is uh, one of the most common that people don't know about. Yeah, I mean, this is really a big problem. If you talk about the policies, the policies are there. Interestingly, I mean, last year, there was a special disability bill that was passed. But the question now is the implementation. We don't ever get to implement things in our nation. And then also when you talk about special education, most of the people in government are not even aware of special needs like dyslexia, like autism. I mean, for them, you have special education when you're blind. You have special education when you're on a wheelchair. You have special education when you're using a stick. You have special education when your hands have been amputated. So interestingly, people who are leading us in authority 
who are in the educational sector do not understand that we have other special needs that you don't see facially. Special needs that have to do with the brain, like dyslexia, like autism, like dyscalculia, and all of the other special needs you can think of. So there has to be a lot of awareness on that. And that is why we are here today, I believe, here on this radio station talking about that. And that is what we also do as an organization, ensuring that people get to know what this is more. And I've also come to realize that most people in government really don't know. When they get to know, they are open to it. I have a friend and colleague, Doni, who also through her organization pushes all of this awareness. And usually when she gets to talk to people in government who don't know what dyslexia is, by the time they get to know what it is, they embrace it. And in their own way, they're trying to find help, both for these children and for them being in the system as well. Yeah, with time, I noticed that things like speech to text were actually made not just for fancy, but they were made to fulfill certain needs. Now, mm-hmm. let's talk about tech and how tech has helped in the area of assistive technology. What kind of tech do you use? And what kind of tech do you suggest parents and teachers to use to assist uh, dyslexics or dyslexic children? Okay, so technology is very important, you know. But I think the first thing is that as Africans, as parents, we need to, first of all, open our hearts to technology. I mean, I didn't even know it was this bad until during the lockdown, where most schools didn't even know what to do when education moved online. So it means kids, non-dyslexic kids, were even struggling, I mean, to learn online because of the materials that were not available or because of the inability of the school to know what to do online. I mean, it just makes you wonder that if neurotypical kids are going through that, how much more kids with dyslexia? But then I also noticed that parents didn't just trust online learning at all. I still get to talk with parents. And when they reach me and we're like, okay, we're in Abuja. They're like, oh, but we're in this city. And I'm like, yes, our dyslexia academy is an online academy. So your child can see function perfectly well. And you're like, ah, uh, this online thing, mm, this online thing. I mean, uh, when you talk about video calls, Zoom calls, Google Meet, that's just the basics of the technology. So if we're not opening our hearts to even the basics of this call, like this call I'm having with you here, then how are we ever going to open our hearts to the other amazing things that can help children with dyslexia? So first, let's open our hearts. I'd like to talk to parents. I would like to talk to teachers. Open your hearts. I mean, especially post-COVID. Education is not like before again. And I really want to commend schools who have made online learning part of their curriculum. So what they do is that they have three days that the kids go to school, and then they have two days where the kids learn at home. And this is going to learn online. And this kind of curriculum is going to open them into exploring more technology that is available for children, especially for those with dyslexia. So first, let's open our hearts to online learning. And then secondly, apps are very important in teaching children with dyslexia, for me, most of these apps are free. One of the ones I love to use the most is Nessie materials. You know, they have this phonics called Harry Phonics. Some of them you can buy, but they are relatively cheap. So apps are very important, especially when the kids are in preschool. 
you know, in kindergarten. These apps helps a lot. But just remember that for kids who are in preschool, they shouldn't spend more than an hour on the apps because when they spend time that you're strategic, you're intentional, they are watching what you want them to learn, not just watching any other thing at all. And then there is something we call accommodation. You're talking about text-to-speech. That becomes an important part of them being accommodated in school as well. And it reminds me of a story of the 20-year-old that was tutoring who couldn't read well. Now, I mean, if someone can read well, a lot of things are connected already. One, it means that they don't comprehend what they are reading. It also means that when they copy their notes, it's not correct. So all of these things were happening. The girl will copy her notes, but it will not be correct. And then when she's even reading it, she can't comprehend because she can't read. And this girl was going through that system and writing exams. And when I started tutoring her, I was like, wait, yes, I know she's 20 and she can't go back to preschool. But there is something called accommodation. What that means is that while I'm teaching her how to read and why she's still learning in school, because the fact that she can't read doesn't mean she's dumb. Yeah, she can still do well in the other subjects. So while I'm doing this and while she's still learning how to read and spell, you have to get her a recorder so that she can record her notes. And then when it's time to read, all she needs to do is listen to those notes again because she's writing what she doesn't understand. She's reading what she doesn't understand. That is totally not fair. And I'm happy the school was able to embrace that idea. So they got her a recorder and I will record her notes and then she will listen to them like she was reading, of course, audiobooks. And she was able to improve well in school. And aside from the recorders, there are also pens. Of course, those ones are really expensive. So I'm talking to teachers and parents. I want to start with the basic things that they can get today and start using. You also have pens that autocorrect and also record as well. Now, there's also a thin line between technology being used to the extreme. And that is what the people in the Western world are facing right now. So now you have so much technology, especially in our Western world, that a child doesn't even need to learn how to read. You have the talking pen that corrects, you have the autocorrect, you have the text-to-speech, you have the speech-to-text and every other thing. So now the problem is that instead of teaching kids how to read, when people discover that kids are dyslexic, all they do is just keep all of this technology on them and then these kids never learn how to read. What we are advocating for is that dyslexic children can learn how to read and technology should only be an aid and shouldn't have to replace their reading abilities. They should be able to read despite or in spite of technology. So a balanced aid for children with dyslexia is a system that teaches them how to read and then brings in technology just to aid that. So I know I spoke a lot, but I was able to cover the question you asked me. Yeah, good try, good try. So uh, just a word for people who are dyslexic, just to round up the conversation today. Okay. All right, so I want to talk to people who are dyslexic, and I want to talk to parents who have children who are dyslexic. For people who are dyslexic, you are not dumb at all. And I want to believe that you know that already, especially if you've read stories of successful dyslexics out there. Your failures are actually what makes you stronger. I mean, you hear of Richard Brassman, of Steve Jobs, of Henry Ford, or Disney. These are people who are dyslexic. 
but they've been able to channel their energy into the entrepreneurial world and they are doing amazingly well. So first you need to understand that you have an advantage as an individual who is dyslexic. And if you're, you have the right resources and you tap into the ability that is in your brain, you're gonna come up with amazing innovations just like other dyslexics. And then for parents who have children with dyslexia, you don't have to lose hope at all. What your child just needs is the right intervention. And also try as much as possible not to focus on their inability to read. Because like I always love to say, your child's inability to read is just two to three percentage of what makes up your child. There are other things that dyslexics are good at. So figure that thing out. And while you're looking for help for your child to read well, also ensure that you're finding the gifts in your child's life. Beautiful. Thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you for the time and the insights you've provided today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we've been speaking to an international certified special needs educator and a dyslexia coach, also the founder of Dyslexia Help Africa, Blessing Nyape. I think Good I had to, job. Had to, had to do that slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming so on my side. My team. Thank you very much. You. Good job. Yeah, so in addition <laughs> to you. the names that uh, she mentioned, Leonardo da Vinci, the popular one, Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg, mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali and Albert Einstein all had That's dyslexia, right? right? Mm-hmm. So That's to parents, right. to teachers and educators who do not yet know, and to children and teens who are dyslexic, just know that there are no limits. Hold on, get the amount of intervention you need, and the sky will just be the stepping stone. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.